Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. We're excited to jump into a very challenging but short chapter tonight mm-hmm. in chapter Exodus chapter 11. Um, before we get into that though, um, we just kind of wanted to talk about how our week has gone. We've had some like really high moments and some really low moments and uh, that has kind of postponed when we normally get to do the podcast. Um, it's been overall, I guess, a good week. I don't know. I mean, it's just, no, it's yeah, just it's been, been good. Uh, it's, it's just been, uh, there's been a lot of random things that have happened. And... Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of started last week with um, a, a, well, we've known this girl since, or now young lady, since she was in middle school and uh, her name's Molly, and she got married last weekend, last Sunday, um, to a really awesome guy named Keith, and uh, we're super happy for them, um, but since we've been around her so long, and and it, it was just like a very emotional thing uh, yeah. to be at her wedding, and to make it even more emotional, Garrett was the officiant for their wedding, yeah. and so it was just... Um, it was really an exciting time. It was a little nerve-wracking time with COVID and just um, with just like normal nerves from, yeah. you know, being well, the officiant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you feel like, okay, probably nobody's going to remember all that much about what I say unless I say something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, unless you do something really bad, like, nobody's going to remember what you said. So just do good. and then not memorable, Just basically. do good and... <laughs> Nobody will remember anything about you. And so that's what I tried to do. And, you know, it, and it is hard um, with with Molly. I have known Molly a long time. And, in you know, that's why I, she probably she asked me to do it. And, you know, but for me, I'm a notorious crier. And I, I, I love um, very deeply people um, that... Uh, came through the youth group and that I got to spend a lot of time with. I mean, that just naturally happens. And so um, I cherish every moment that I've ever gotten to spend with the with the teenagers as they've grown up. And now all of a sudden they're adults and they're getting married and, you know, and Starting so careers. Yeah. And, and you don't, of... you don't think that that's where it's going to take you and it does. And there you are. And you're, you know, looking at this girl who, you know, used to be a middle schooler that used to sled down, you know, the hill with and, uh, you know, have fun with. And there she is. She's getting married. And yeah. so it's like a very emotional moment. And you, you're you just trying not to, for me, I'm trying not to make it like a big scene of being 
overly emotional and yeah. because that's just that that's who I am and yeah. I, I that's part of something that I really I, I kind of hate about myself um that like my emotions and like how much they get to me whenever I tell stories of my own spending time with them it like it just tears me up and it's like yeah. man just just how beautiful those times were and you cherish them and it just kind of swallows you up and uh, for me that I've got a lot of that, you know, yeah. with, with these teenagers or former teenagers. And um, so you're trying to keep that from happening. And I, I like hate that about myself. But at the same time, you know, a while back I had a lot of anxiety issues and um, I was on Zoloft mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, it's an antidepressant um, that, you know, tries to keep your emotions in check or whatever. But I realized after I was taking it, like I, I just realized that I was never emotional about anything, and I was just like, "Man, this it's like I feel, stone cold." <laughs> I feel like I feel like part of me is gone. You yeah, know? I feel like some parts of me is gone, and uh, and I didn't like that. But at the same time, I hate whenever I'm I'm weeping. And... Yeah, it was it was super weird to see him like not cry at things that he usually cries at, and it's not like just close people, super close people to him, like know that he cries. It's like a it's like a well-known, like, if you've spent any amount of time with Garrett, you know that he gets emotional about people. Yeah. And um, so that was just, that was a weird time. So, um, but his emotions are all back on. Yeah. And, uh... and, so, and so going through the wedding, it was just like, I'm going to practice this at a bunch of times so that I can try to keep my emotions in check. And so it's hard. It was really hard to get through you know, the story that I had to tell of just, you know, spending time with Molly and and her family, but I did get through it and things went, you know, what I thought was really well. I thought my, my personal highlight was that I got to meet a, a meta messianic Jew, uh, who loved it. And I was, I just, I wanted to talk to him for ages and, um, just about his thoughts on different things and want to talk to him about Passover, which is what we're getting into, or at least starting well, yeah, to get yeah. into tonight. Uh, wanted to talk to him about Passover, the meaning of Passover or, you know, different feast days and things because I'm infatuated with that stuff. I I love the Old Testament. I love reading uh, the Hebrew scriptures, and there's just been so much more that's come come to life for me recently. And so to talk to somebody that knows Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was I was on for that. But at the same time, I was like, I really hope I didn't mess up anything. Yeah, because I talked about the Hebrew word Hesed and what its meaning was and so to have somebody in the audience that legitimately knows hebrew <laughs> when he told me when at first when he told me i was like oh no like did did i mess up something and he was kind of talking about how good it was and and so that yeah. just really reinforced me i was like thank goodness because i want to honor i want to honor jewish culture and i want to honor that because that's where we come from mm-hmm. as christians that's where we come from and we need to know it we need to know what our foundation is and you know, we're not we're we don't we shouldn't think that we're part of a separate religion. We're not. We're a continuation of of the religion that's established by the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus is the culmination of it. He's the climax of it. That's what we believe. Yeah. And so um I wanna honor that and come to know God the way that we're doing with reading the Exodus right now and and uh and respect it and love it and so to have somebody that like that legit knows Hebrew. I'm like, holy moly. I, I feel like I'm in, 
uh, I felt like I was in the presence of like a celebrity or something. But you know, he's, yeah. he's like, I'm just a, I'm just a guy, <laughs> man. Like, calm down. Yeah, I was like, would you have been more nervous if you had like known he was absolutely in the crowd and he was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> if I had known, if somebody had told me, hey, by the way, there's a Messianic Jew, it's going to be in. Uh, in the yeah, audience, yeah, as yeah, the as you give your, you know, as you're officiating this, I'd have been like, oh no, and I'd have just checked every little line of like, is this, is this really it, you know? And I've done my research, but at the same time, I'd be like double, triple checking things. Yeah. Um. So that was that was a big highlight for me to kind of get that encouragement from him, mm-hmm. a, a guy I didn't know, like I don't know him, you know, uh, but he gave me like some information, like where they meet. Um. There, there's a. Uh, meeting uh they meet in cleveland um and uh, just a group of messianic jews that meet up there and it's really cool i watched some stuff from him and um he was like yeah it'll be you know now the things are kind of long and i was like dude i love i would love just long You're let's like, just talk have you man. listened to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> i love to talk about this stuff so uh that was really cool and really very very much enjoyed that yeah so, um I think what's interesting is that, like, that was a highlight for you of, like, this random encounter with somebody and getting to talk to somebody about, you know, like, you didn't expect to have that conversation while you were there. And then for me, like, I also had a, well, you were with me, but, like, I also kind of had this, like, strange conversation with um, somebody else at the wedding, and it was actually a... um, it was the person who drives you in the little golf cart or whatever from the parking lot to um, the venue. The venue. Yeah. Um, it was just like up a really steep hill. And I noticed he had an accent. So like after the wedding, when he was dropping us back off at our car, I just asked him where he was from. And he was like, he was from Ghana and um, he had come here. I don't remember how long, several years ago, maybe like seven years ago. I can't remember how yeah, long. Yeah, it's been, been a while. It's been a while. Um, and then I realized that, uh, he's one of the coaches for like Caleb's soccer, like association thing. And, um, he's actually coached Caleb before. And I just kind of had this like aha moment with him of just like realizing that I sort of knew him. I mean, I'd only seen him maybe two or three times, um, at Caleb's soccer, um, but it was just like getting to hear his story and just listen to somebody tell their story about how he had um, come to the United States from Ghana. He left behind his family. Um, he came here with nothing. With nothing. Yeah. And so he hasn't had like many opportunities to see his family since then because it's so expensive. I think some people like raised money for him to get to see his family again. But he was just trying to create a better, you know, a better life in the States and just like listening to how he's worked so many jobs and he's just like, whatever you're doing, basically very scriptural of like whatever you're doing, working at it with all your heart. Yeah. You could tell Um, you, I mean, if you've ever met the guy, he just exudes energy and just passion for whatever it is that he's doing. Yeah. And something that's, uh, that I envy a lot in him and just watching it like, man, like to have so much positivity and, just desire to, he's like, if I'm going to drive this golf cart, by, by golly, I am driving it to the best of my ability yeah. to have an attitude like so that. I mean, he, I mean, he was like, some of the jobs that I've had haven't been that great, but I've just worked really hard at them. And 
it's really paid off and um, you know, he gets to be a soccer coach, which he loves soccer and he loves working with kids and he gets to be a dance teacher at the Y and he loves doing that. And, um, but he's also had things like, I mean, he said that his boss at the, like the wedding venue was amazing, but I'm sure that like driving the golf cart isn't the most like, I don't know. Maybe it's not that bad, but I mean, he was just saying like he worked, I think, at cleaning pools over the summer and stuff because of COVID and his soccer stuff went away and like um, for a little bit when they paused their program, Um, but just like doing things that he didn't enjoy, but working hard anyway, Mm -hmm. and um, just the character that he has, it was just a really cool moment and it just kind of felt like this weird timing of when we happened to leave, like... I don't know. It just it was just a really cool conversation, really cool to like hear somebody tell about their culture and and I don't know. It was just a neat experience. So yeah. we had two like experiences with different cultures, I yeah. guess, while we were there and that was awesome. Then we come home and Caleb had like <clears throat> the worst night terror that he's had in a really long time. It felt, it was like, it one, felt like it lasted 30 minutes. Yeah, I it mean, was it was bad. it was pretty brutal, and he was just crying, and it's like he's not really you, there. He's not responsive. He, there's yeah. nothing behind his open eyes. You yeah. Know, it's just, uh, he's just crying. He doesn't know where he is or anything like that. So it was by far the worst one he's ever had. So typically, you know, he'll get those if he's super tired or if he is getting sick. And so I just kind of assumed he was probably super tired because he had spent a lot of time with his grandparents. And, I mean, let's just be honest, they're more fun with the kids than us because sure. we're... <laughs> they're much you know, more excited to be yeah. with them than us. Yes. <laughs> they have, you know, they, they're creating special moments with the kids when they're with them. Whereas we can't we're constantly, trapped. we yes. can't constantly create special moments We're trapped with them. They're enjoying special moments. We're trying yes. to get them to calm down and yes. just chill yeah um and so that's I just thought it was that but then he woke up the next morning with a fever and of course with COVID we were like oh my goodness and that day with that Monday was Labor Day so that's like the only day in the entire month that like the free testing for COVID was closed right yeah Uh, so he had a cough yeah he had a cough and he had a fever and yeah. runny nose. It was like and... all the things that you're like, well, great. Yeah. Great. He's had one week at preschool and here we are. And so um, Garrett had the honor, really, to take him. I got to take him, him to urgent care. To urgent care. And to strap him down with my body <laughs> to having my legs wrapped around his and then my arm across his shoulder, my other arm holding his head still. Wow, where he is doing. He is doing him. everything he can to get out. Uh, and away from this, um, this swab that is going up and scratching his brain. Yeah. And, uh, Garrett, so it was a horrible experience. Um, Garrett was like, well, that was unpleasant. Yeah. So I got him an IC afterwards to, yeah. um, to, that was try, how I was trying to convince him to stay still, but that just wasn't happening. Yeah. So, so the good news is, is that his test, his COVID test came back negative. He just had an ear Does infection. Does not have COVID. Uh, he just had an ear infection and he got some antibiotics and stuff. So he got to go back to school at the end of the week and it was just, it just kind of made the whole week a little more hectic. I think, uh, it felt like between the wedding stuff and, uh, and him getting sick, 
that it just like took me a couple days to kind of recover. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like a mental thing or what, but it was just like the busyness of that. And then just the stress of like having a sick child. Um, it was just, it made me tired. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a tough week. Yeah. But, and, um, you know, but luckily everybody's fine. Nobody's sick right now. Yeah. Um, um, Kayla's going back to school. So. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing is football is back. Yes. And so we got to watch um, some ACC some games football this weekend. And that was exciting. As I've talked about before, how that's like something that's kind of important to us. Uh, and that tomorrow, we just enjoy doing together. <laughs> Dancing with the Stars is yes, back. Yes. And uh, Carol freaking Baskin. PSA, you know, <laughs> uh, she's going to be on there tomorrow. So. If you're listening to this after Monday, you then need to watch this with Carol back. Baskin. Watch her dance the Eye of the Tiger or something. <laughs> it's gonna be so cringy. Yeah. Um, oops. Um, I can't wait though. Yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be good times. Good times. Um. All right. Did you have anything else? No, about this no, no, no. That's good. Okay. So, kind of a before we really jump into this chapter, I did want to mention. Um, that, you know, we're trying to read through scripture and try to get everything in its context. And um, the downside to that is that as we're reading through, we don't have the other side of the story yet. We don't necessarily know all the context. When we read chapter 11, we don't know everything that's happened in chapter 12, right. obviously. Right. Um, we don't know in 13 and all the way through 40. And um, so... As we go through chapter 11 and kind of give our thoughts on different things in here, um, just know that they might be subject to change maybe in future podcasts um, just because we're trying to read this, you know, in order and just kind of give our thoughts as we go. And we're not coming from a place of like knowing everything about all these chapters at this point. We're, We're studying it with you and um so we're just trying to remember who we've seen in god so far who like how we have seen moses so far and so just try to keep that in mind yeah and i I think an important thing about reading the scriptures is that it's not just for a once read through now you have it thing Mm -hmm. um it's it's something that's supposed to be meditated over and over again over time in that you would read Exodus, you know, one through forty, and then uh, it, maybe you read the rest of the Torah, and then next year you're going to read it again. Yeah. It, but you're going to know a lot of the things that are going to happen, and as as you do that, you start to see the nuance of the whole story. And so I'm gonna I I try to pull some things back whenever we need to. Like yeah. if I already know something coming, and be like, oh, you know, well, mm-hmm. it says this, but at the same time, whenever we look forward, it says that. So yeah. for instance, one of those being the um, in chapter four, I think whenever it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Like I already knew that the very first instance that that was going to come up, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. So I try to pull that back a little bit. Yeah. So I think that's a good example of the way that, okay, so you're reading the narrative. It says this, what actually happens Mm -hmm. maybe is a little bit different than what you thought the first time you read through the narrative that, you know, um, so it, it's something that's supposed to be meditated over over time. So I don't want us to necessarily jump to too many conclusions about things. I do want to take it in its context, see what it says. I uh, don't want to 
uh, dumb it down or water it down to try to pretend some some things didn't happen or don't happen or that the scriptures don't say what they what they say. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is benefit to the reflection. I think, I mean, Jesus did so much of that um, for us and that it's like uh, all of a sudden when you see and all the things that he does, you look back on it, you're like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Um, a good example of that would be just in modern you know, fiction novels, a good a good example would be um, in the Harry Potter books. Um, in the Order of the Phoenix, whenever you're reading the books, it says that they're like cleaning out um, one of the houses that Harry's staying in at the time. They're cleaning up these stuff, and it says they found a locket that nobody could open. Mm-hmm. And as you read it, you just say, "Okay, no big deal, right?" But that, that as you go to to book six. Um, and it ends with this locket, you know, and that they, that they get, that they think is this Horcrux and it turns out it's been stolen. Well, now all of a sudden, whenever you go back and reread a locket that no one can open becomes important because it wasn't important before, but now it is now that you have more of the context. So I don't think that the Hebrew scriptures are really any different and that sometimes, um, something later can help us see something more clearly that happened previously, and Jesus does that. Like Jesus is 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 easily that where he, the things that he does helps us see and uh, contextualize these things more clearly uh, in ref, in reflection of the cross and reflection of his life and everything that happens in the gospels. We look backwards and we say, "Oh, okay." Um, and so, you know, we want to try to read it in context. That's what we're trying to do. At the same time. It is important for us to, once we finish, to then go back and reread mm-hmm. and say, oh, I didn't notice that before. But now that I know what happened, what Isaiah says, now all of a sudden this means something different to me. Or it, it or at least it brings out more facets to the scriptures. Yeah. So anyways, that I think that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah. Is that it's like a, um, there may be something that we get to in chapter 14 that we say, oh, maybe that's what that meant in chapter 11. So Yeah, and, and just to reiterate that, like, we're studying this alongside you yes. on the podcast, so it's not like we've gone through this entire book previously, so we're we're learning at the same time. Yes, yes. Um, so before we, we get into 11, I want to back up um, to chapter 10, because and, and, I, I, I don't think we hit this last episode, and it was something that I wanted... To discuss, it says that um, in 28, it says, And Pharaoh said to him, Go from me. Be careful not to see my face again, because on the day of your seeing my face, you will die. And Moses said, That is right. I will not see your face again. And it, it struck me because, and again, this is something that we, we learn in the future, um, that on reflection backwards, now all of a sudden it has more meaning. Um, Moses is the one that would be that would know God face to face and to, to come in contact with God, to come and see his face, to be in the the vicinity of God that Moses was, you know, you would think like this is supposed to kill this person. Um, a, 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 the burning bush being a good example of like, take off your, you know, your sandals don't come any nearer for this is holy ground. Why? I mean, this is dangerous to Moses's person to come any closer to God. Um, and so Moses would be one that would come face to face with God and not die. Like he's going to, he's going to behold the glory of God. And in, in Exodus 34, he's going to behold the glory of God and he's not going to die. 
And so he's the he's able to he's the one that's going to see God face to face and not die. And yet now we hear here we hear have Pharaoh saying, "Don't come and see my face again, or you will die." He's threat he's threatening uh, that if you see my face. But the fact is is that Pharaoh has no power, and he has no ability to affect Moses. And in fact, the one that he should see his face and die, Moses is going to be one the one that's actually befriending that that being, which is Yahweh. Um, and so I think that um, there is a really cool play there of the, like, again, Pharaoh trying to flex his muscles, but he really has no power and he's not holding any of the cards anymore. And Moses is basically like, I'm not afraid of you because I know Yahweh. I know him face to face. He's something that he's going, Moses over time is going to develop even a deeper relationship with Yahweh and know him at a deeper level and going to come to him and not be killed. He's going to ascend the holy mountain of Yahweh and not be killed. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that's a really cool aspect of the narrative that you don't get yet. You have to know the future part to know this part. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, so as we pick up in chapter 11, that's kind of where it left off. And, it, and it's almost like Moses hasn't left the court quite yet as chapter 11 picks up. Um, and it's a reflection on something that Yahweh has told Moses previously that he told him in chapter 4. So you want to pick up here? All righty. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all the the wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israel, Israelites go out of his country. So the beginning of this, it says, And Yahweh said to Moses, Still one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh. But he doesn't tell him what the plague is. He just tells him, Hey, there's one more. Uh, and, you know, afterward he will release you from here. And at the moment of your releasing, you know, he's going to completely drive you out. So he doesn't remind him. He actually doesn't tell him what the plague was. It's like Moses remembers, oh yeah, there was the one you told me about in chapter four. Yeah. Right. We already it, talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there's the one. And so it's like, he's, it's like he's walking out of the courts and Yahweh's reminding him of this. And he's like, oh yeah, whenever you tell him this thing, by the way, now go and speak to the people and they're going to look at you a favor. And then it's like, Moses kind of turns around and he's like, oh yeah, one more thing before I go. Um, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and he gives the spiel about, you know, of, of what the plague is going to be, um, and, and how, how this is going to go down. Um, so before we kind of get into that, I just want to notice that, 
um, you know, in verses one through three, um, he's telling him what's going to happen. But the the interesting thing is the people and like the way that they view Moses and the Israelites, they look on them with favor or, or in other words, they look on them with grace um, and behold them in a different way. The way that the way that the Israelites would view David, you know, whenever he comes in and is, um, you know, he's killed all these Philistines and stuff. And uh, the way that they honor him is the way that these people are honoring Moses. Like all the Egyptians are honoring Moses. They don't, they don't seem to hold him accountable for any of the things that have happened previously. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't blame him. It seems that he's actually getting the honor that Pharaoh would normally get. So he's kind of being put in the place of Pharaoh now. He's starting to get that power and honor um, that would seem to belong to Pharaoh. And not only that, but they're going to give, you know, they're going to give the object of silver and gold that eventually will be part of the making of the tabernacle. So all these things are being given to them. And they're not they're not borrowing them. They're not stealing them. They're being freely given these things from yeah, the Egyptians. Which I think this is like cool again that this is um like I, that I was able to remember as we were reading this oh yeah this is what the lord had said to moses early on like when you go they're going to give you stuff yes. like you're not just going to like <clears throat> sneak out in the middle of the night you're going to actually like be given stuff from the egyptians as you leave you right. know and and so that that was kind of cool how that's like kind of we're actually seeing that come to fruition yeah, it, it's almost to. like they're giving him honor like he saved them from the plagues. Um, that it, 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 I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast, though. It, it's like there's there's even more power in the fact that Moses, or Yahweh through Moses, was able to stop the plagues as much as he was able to bring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's even more power in the fact, because that, that's the thing that Pharaoh can't do. He can't stop it. Yeah. And they can even, in some of the plagues they can recreate, but they can't stop them. And so there, it seemed to be there's more power in the stopping them than it is in the starting them. Yeah. And then it's like they're kind of giving him honor. Somehow he's in the place of being, you know, it's being noticed that, um, that through him is that stopping of the plagues, um, that Pharaoh doesn't get the honor for, um, and he doesn't deserve it. You know, so. I, yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting here is um, not only is just like the Egyptians view him in a favorable way, but also Pharaoh's officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I think that's significant is because just in the last chapter, we were, I think it was the last chapter, that God had hardened the hearts of Both. Pharaoh's officials as well yes. as Pharaoh. And so even with their hardened hearts they still view Moses in high regard. Um, And I think that's interesting um, in terms of like kind of giving us a clue of like still, you know, kind of confirming to me that like they still had their own choices. It's not like they were just like brainwashed to have this certain path of like, like for Pharaoh, okay, I don't like these people. I'm not going to do, you know, like make them a robot kind of thing. Just Um, like before, in the previous chapter, it was I. You know, I could have completely destroyed you, mm-hmm. and now they are. They're kind of recognizing it of like, yeah, he could have, and they're they're able still to logically walk through it and say, yeah, they could have killed us. You know, he killed. He could have uh, utterly obliterated us, but he didn't. 
Yeah. You know, we're, we're giving opportunity after opportunity to turn and to be different and to change and to make a different choice than what we're making. So, yeah, and I kind of wonder, too, if he was highly regarded in part because, you know, Pharaoh would continue to ask, like, pray on my behalf, you know, make these plagues go away. And Moses agreed. And even though he knew that Pharaoh's heart hadn't changed, that he was lying to him, um, he still prayed on his behalf. And I think that that probably gained him a lot of respect Yeah. Um, by just the way he was treating Pharaoh. Like yeah. he was treating him with respect when he didn't really deserve it. Yeah. He had, he, at that point, <laughs> at some point should have kind of lost that respect where Moses is like, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you don't deserve it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he continued to pray for him even throughout, throughout all that. And, uh, kind of showed maybe to the Egyptians is like Moses is kind of having mercy on us by praying for us. Yes. Um, they see so, it. Yeah, yeah. They seem yeah. to see it, I think. And so I kind of wonder if that's um, playing a role here as to why that, you know, that they viewed him so high, you know, like so favorably. Yeah, yeah. So as we keep going through here, so now starting in verse 4 is when the plague starts to to be um, described as to what's going to happen. And and I'll be honest with you, th- this is a this is probably the hardest part of the Bible that I've read so far, really. Like I think that this is something that I struggle with the most. Um and so I don't I don't take it lightly. Um and it is something that I want to understand. I do not want to pass over it. I don't which <laughs> good one. <laughs> um I don't want to just pretend it doesn't exist. And then move on because it creates problems for me. And so I think we're supposed to read it and we're supposed to glean something from God's character with it and, and try to, to grapple and wrestle with him. So the the plague here is that he's going to go out into the midst of Egypt. That's I think that's important language of him going into the midst of the people. Um, very much like he's going to go into the midst of Israel at the end of this. So at the very end of this story, um, he's going to go into the midst of Israel into the tabernacle and then they're not going to know what to do with him. Um, but either way, the whole point, the whole part of the story is him being in the midst. So he's going to go into the midst of Egypt and then every firstborn of the, of Egypt will die, both the firstborn of Pharaoh all the way down to the firstborn of the slave woman, um, who is behind the pair of millstones. So she, so what what that means is from from the le- from the greatest to the least everybody is going to suffer um as a as a result of what's happening here. And that's hard for me. I I have a real there's a real grind for me in that. And like what did the slave woman do? Mm-hmm. You know, why why does the slave woman deserve um you know the firstborn of her family to die? Um and so I I think that that that's something that reading it creates a a a real um uncomfortableness to me um so whenever that happens i have to really evaluate okay what's happening in me uh why is it that this is bothering me and maybe what is it that i'm supposed to see differently than you know that that's happening here and i and i think part of it is that um, we, you know, with, we assume that whoever, you know, like from the least to the, to the greatest to the least, that somehow that, that, you know, the, even the least in Egypt didn't play a part 
in the slavery of the Israelites, um, that they were um, maybe culpable of that as well. I mean, you can't blame necessarily everything on Pharaoh. Nobody's rising up against Pharaoh to fight for the for the Israelites. And I think even in our own time, what we're what we're seeing sometimes is like the it's that you know, well, somebody should do something. You know, some somebody should do something about that evil thing that's happening over there, but not me. But I'm not supposed to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so am I culpable for it if I just watch it happen, knowing that it's not okay? Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah. Um, I think that there's lots of people. Uh, I mean, uh, the the thing, I think the, the case study that we probably go back to the most is Nazi Germany. You know, you have all these people that are ignoring what's happening in front of them because it doesn't directly affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, that Pharaoh is making these people's lives horrible and bitter. And it's like, yeah, I could do that. I could rise up, you know, and maybe say like, Hey, Pharaoh, this is not right. Um, but then that's just going to make my life harder. So as long as it's not bothering me, maybe I shouldn't do something. So there's one, there's potentially one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, I think that another is the idea of the firstborn here and that what, what is it, what is it about the firstborn? You know, why is it the firstborn that keeps being talked about? Um, and in the in this culture, the firstborn was the most powerful of everybody in the room. Um, if you had a family, you know, this family of, you know, fifteen or something that's living under the same house or something, the firstborn's the one that's got all of the, the heritage. All you know, everything, every every decision kind of goes back to the firstborn. Uh, and they're the most powerful in the in the group. So if you take out the firstborn of each family, now all of a sudden, you know, there's no leaders left in, in Egypt um, that can keep the Israelites in, in check, um, that can keep their slavery underneath them. And especially for Pharaoh, it's a shot at his um, his godness, if you will, and that his son, he can't even protect his own son. Um, and then again... For Yahweh, it's that he does protect his own son. He's his firstborn is Israel, um, and he does protect um, his his own son here. Do you have any any other thoughts on this? Yeah. Um. So going back to just thinking about okay, what is this like retribution for? Mm-hmm. Um. And it kind of calls us back to what happened very on in Exodus, maybe the first or second chapter. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It's where um, Pharaoh is killing. Yes. The baby boys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, we think we kind of tie those these two things together in our minds, maybe maybe too much of thinking about, okay, kind of like, I can't remember one thing we read. It wasn't eye for eye, but like, so I don't know. They used a different word that I thought was cool. Um, but we almost take this as like, oh, okay, this is almost like you killed the babies then, we're going to kill the when you say firstborn, I think for some reason my mind sometimes goes to babies yes, again. Yeah. And so it I think when we read this, sometimes we go, Oh my goodness, is this like little baby boy firstborn that's being killed as well? And like how do we reconcile that when it's like a baby boy is completely innocent? You right. know, like there is nothing that you know, they didn't, they weren't allowed, a baby boy is not allowing slavery to happen or, you know, yeah. there's nothing that they can do or, you know, but, but change this. Yeah, but the deal with that is that the firstborn 
in the household is likely not the baby. It's not a baby. You know, the yeah. majority of the firstborns in the household are not going to be babies. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I think it's curious. Pharaoh is the firstborn of his household. So for whatever reason, it's not like for him, it's a little bit different than it is for everybody else. Yeah. It's like it's starting then, with his firstborn yeah, in terms of and the then, hierarchy. And then everybody else. So like in, in, in our family, I would, I would be the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm the first of my family, I'm the leader of this household, you know, kind of thing. Like I'm the firstborn, whatever. Um, so it would be me, not Caleb. They would be taken. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it, it's like, um, that's the position that it's talking about taking, um, in that, that firstborn, um, it, it's, it's more likely an adult more often than not, uh, is what's being, being taken here. Um, and so, and, and, and you're right, like the, it's, it's looking back, all this stuff is repetitive of chapter one mm-hmm. in that, um, you know, even down to the slave woman, I think, you know, the deal is, is that with them, it was every baby boy, every boy that was born, mm-hmm. um, was killed. Yes. Uh, for this, it's every firstborn of the families, the, the power holder, the one that is wielding the power in the family is the one that's going to go. And, uh, and so it's kind of turning that, the, the power in the family is turning it up over its head, um, to show, you know, I mean, it's so that, um, the, um, power of Pharaoh can be demonstrated to be nothing. You know, he can't stop this from happening kind of thing. Um, no, he could, he could actually stop this from happening, but he chooses saying, not to. You can go. Okay, but he, but he chooses, but he chooses not to. And so we'll kind of get into that a little bit. But you have any other, any thoughts? On I'm that? trying to think, cause we kind of read a little bit ahead because we were trying to make sense of this. Uh, so I don't want to get too much into like chapter 12 stuff. Um, so I will say, um, with verse, you know, so with verse six, you know, kind of that turns its picture to, um, to Israel, um, and, or I'm sorry, verse seven in that, but against the Israelites from a man to an animal, a dog will not even bark. So all this is going to happen to Egypt's firstborn, but in Israel, not even a dog is going to growl at at a person. You know, like that's how protected that they're going to be, um, is that they're not even going to have a, a dog, you know, growl poorly at them. Um, um, to get into, were you going to read something about this? Cause well, yeah, just... um, so I'll, I'll read. So the guy named um, John Golden Gay has some really good stuff. Um, on his website for it. I got some Old Testament introductions from him, but <clears throat> he's often asked this question um, about like, what, you know, how is this fair? You know, how is this okay? How do we, how do we grapple with it? And he says, I, w- I, I could wish God hadn't acted in this way, but from the beginning to the end, scripture seems to reckon that God does punish wrongdoing from time to time. So I assume that when Scripture says something I don't like, I had better let it reshape my thinking. After all, Jesus accepts an eye for an eye thinking when he says that people who don't forgive won't be forgiven. Sometimes the time for mercy runs out and God's act, God acts in judgment. It's an act of power 
that demonstrates to the superpower that their leader, that God is God and that they are not. In an act of punishment for their refusal to acknowledge that fact, so, you know, it, it, it's their fault, so it's not murder, um, that they're not acknowledging God for who he is. The notion that can distinguish uh, between people who are and aren't who aren't directly culpable doesn't really work. A nation is bound up with its leaders for better and sometimes for worse. It's striking that the New Testament refers quite often to Passover and apparently isn't troubled by the questions that trouble us. Nor is Paul in Romans chapter nine. Note that the victims are not especially babies. Most firstborns are adults. As well as being an act of judgment, it indeed brought about Israel's freedom as a little people from the superpower that wanted to hold on to them, hence its celebration by them. It's usually the people in power, like Westerners, who worry about this, and rightly. So I think there's two things kind of that I want to like pull out of, uh, of that to kind of talk about a little bit more. And one of those things is just um, this idea of kind of the hierarchy and the leadership, which we've kind of already talked about, you know, like these firstborns are like leaders in their family. But I think there was something else that we kind of discussed or read that was just about... Um, how the slaves are really so when it's talking about the firstborn of the slave girl the slaves really kind of hold this culture together Mm -hmm. in terms of like the things that they do or what keeps this society running so in a sense the leaders of those households are also very important and significant um that it's it's not just some like poor old like baby slave boy yeah you know it's it's somebody who is actually like maybe we need to think about slaves a little differently here Mm -hmm. maybe i mean i'm not i'm not positive on this but i'm just i'm suggesting that like taking down the leadership of even the slaves would impact how they work yes Um, for sure it's going to shut down all of this society at least for a time being until everything can restructure itself yeah and so all of the leadership is gone um once this happens yeah so that's kind of the first thing that i want to think about and consider when we when we read this is like yeah it's going at like i think one of the the commentaries said like this is kind of like the epicenter going at the epicenter of the of the leadership structure Mm -hmm. in egypt going it by killing the firstborn. Yeah, this is what um this is um from a um Jewish website that I, I again I just tried to dig on different stuff like what are what's Jewish interpretation of this. It says um we now understand that the death of the firstborn was not just another sign of divine might. No, this plague struck at the very epicenter of the Egyptian civilization and paved the way for liberation. Yeah. So I think that to me kind of has helped that has kind of helped me understand this a little bit better. Not that it doesn't challenge me anymore, but it 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 has definitely helped. Yeah. The second thing that has helped me um, is this idea of like looking forward to New Testament writers. They didn't seem to have the same issue with these scriptures as we do. Yeah. Uh, they didn't seem to have any problem with how God handled this. Um, it's something we have a problem with now. Yeah. 
Um, and so I think that that's interesting to yeah, think about. Yeah, and, and in fact, Jesus saw himself in the middle of this story. I mean, mm-hmm. he di- he dies as a Passover lamb. He tells this story right before he you know, right before he gets mm-hmm. taken off to be crucified. This is the story that he finds himself in the middle of, and it's not you know, I mean, he does. There just doesn't seem to be any rub with it. So the question has to be like, okay, what's changed in my culture? that all of a sudden this becomes a problem. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that we are the superpower here. You know, like, we, we're we the ones that, um, we, we're Egypt in this situation. And the question is, is are we complacent? Are we, are we allowing injustices to happen to other people without doing anything about it? Or are we just watching it happen and saying, well, it doesn't affect me, so why do I need to do anything? Until yeah. until it does affect you. See, now everybody is affected by this. Yeah, and we're going to see how that... <laughs> yeah, so everybody is affected by this now, not just the leaders. And, and everybody has been affected before, but now, man, it's to a deep level yeah. as to everybody is affected. So now all of a sudden you've got Pharaoh who's responsible for this. And so I, I, that's another thing I want to talk about. So as we, as we go forward here, at the end of verse 8, it says, And afterwards I will go out, and he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So Moses turns around and he leaves and he's in, in just, he's livid at what's happening. And it, I, what what's happening there, in my opinion, is that he is so mad that Pharaoh will not change. He won't change his decision. And whatever the hardening of heart means, Moses knows that God is hardening his heart. Moses knows that God is hardening the heart of Pharaoh. But whatever it means to Moses, it doesn't mean that Pharaoh can't change his mind. Instead, he goes out in anger because Pharaoh isn't changing his mind. And so to Moses, it can't mean that Pharaoh wasn't able to change his mind. What it what it has to mean is that Pharaoh could have changed his mind and now Moses is ticked off that all I mean that all of this is gonna happen. It's gonna be because this guy won't relent. He won't give up his power and allow it to change. And so the question is, is like, well, you know, well, would God change, you know, would God change his de- decision that he was going to wipe out all the firstborn? Absolutely. He would change his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and that's kind of the thing that I want to look forward to whenever the golden calf incident happens, Moses goes up the mountain. He says, I'm going to see if I can atone for your sins. And, and, um, and, uh, one of the, one of the moments with that is Yahweh's like, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over. It's like a decision that he's made. And Moses is like, please don't do that. (laughs) Remember who you are and remember your character and remember, you know, what you've done. And he relents with the. So is there, is there a point where, where Yahweh could say, I'm going to do this. And then the people turn back and change their mind. And he says, okay, well then I won't do it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If there's uh, what it was, uh, Micah, was it Micah that we were, I remember the line, who knows, maybe God will relent. You know, t- change your ways. You know, he's saying that, you know, Babylon's coming for you. Assyria's coming for you. But change, and maybe God will relent. He'll change his mind on these things. Yeah. And he's he's done that over and over again, and he's going to, he, he would do it again. He would do it for Pharaoh. He did it for Assyria. Yeah. He did it in Jonah. So the if if your question is is well if he did change his mind would God not have done this absolutely I don't think he would have the rest of the story tells me that not you know whenever I look at this though Moses is ticked off because he won't 
Um, he won't change his mind. Instead, he continues in his hardness <clears throat> that he's not going to relent and give and bend a knee to Yahweh. Yeah. Um, and so in, in in response to that, all of his firstborn that are under his care, that are under his his um, um, his rule are going to die as a result of his stubbornness. Yeah, and I think what is interesting about this anger is um, earlier in Exodus, we have a situation where God is angry with Moses. And it seems like in that situation, it was it was when... Moses kept on being like, but I don't think that I can do this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's kind of, he's having a lot of doubts and he's trying to kind of make up these excuses. And finally, God's just kind of like, Ugh, just <laughs> trust me, you know, yeah. like just do this. And so in kind of a similar vein, you kind of have Moses who's like, we've told you over and over, let the people go and these things will stop happening. Just let them go. Ugh. Like, yes. you know, it's kind of, it feels like a angry frustration sort of, yes. sort of thing. And so it, it feels to me like Moses is sort of angry in the same way yes. that God was. For sure. And I, I think this has been referencing back to chapter four a bunch. And so that last little line is without a doubt to me referencing back to Yahweh's anger that he felt towards Moses. Now Moses is in the seat of Yahweh's anger. Like he's, it, it's like he's becoming more like Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, in that now he's feeling this anger towards this person that is just like not turning. He's just like, why won't you listen to me whenever I tell you this stuff? Yeah. And and even your officials are telling you don't do this and change your mind and they're, you're just not listening. And so he goes out in anger. Uh, and as opposed to the way that Moses responded to it, um, Pharaoh's not not going to respond. Instead, it it, it ends here saying that he's not going to listen to you, um, so that my wonders may multiply in the land of Egypt. And uh, and Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, and Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not release the Israelites from the land. So, um, you know, he doesn't change his mind, um, and all of it's going to throw down. And it's a really hard, it's a really hard scripture to, for me to wrestle with. And I don't want to demean that in any way for anybody. Um, But I do think it is something that we need to recognize. Why do we have a problem with it whenever maybe previous cultures don't? And I think part of that is because, you know, like we're living in a superpower. You know, they don't, they're not, whenever they get to the other side of the scene, they're not, their worship songs aren't being like, Oh Yahweh, why did you have to punish you know that that family? You know what did they do wrong? It like no, they're just like all of Egypt repressed us, you know, and we've been liberated from it. And so maybe 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 we would read this differently if we were an oppressed nation that mm-hmm. was under the thumb of of an of a pharaoh, you know, of of a pharaoh like. Uh, uh, character that and maybe none of the other people none of the people under his charge weren't necessarily bad but they weren't helping them in any way you know and weren't you know weren't trying to defend them in any way instead allowed them to continue to be repressed so that there would be somebody even below them um so i i think part of the struggle comes from just our our sheer culture and we need to reckon we need to reckon with that within ourselves is that maybe our problem is our own heart um and the only the sheer fact that we're kind of maybe we're egypt and we are um 
we don't like it because we think that what if that's us? What if that's me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the 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 thing being offered to you is to say like, make a different choice, guys. You know, like it. You know, you can you can choose something different here, and you can be different than Pharaoh um, and and choose something um, that um, and, and to speak for for those that can't speak for themselves kind of thing. Yeah, and just to kind of highlight too, I think something that I had already forgotten was, you know, Moses Moses killed an Egyptian mm-hmm. way back in chapter 2 and he did that because the Egyptian was beating one of the the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you think about it, you know, we don't really know where that Egyptian ranked necessarily in the hierarchy. Um, but if you think about it's it's not just Pharaoh that's the problem here. Um, all the Egyptians are it, there. There's more. Well, I won't say all. We probably shouldn't lump everybody in together. But there are other Egyptians here that are making really bad choices, and so I think that that's just something to remember too. Of like, it's not like all these people under Pharaoh were just like little angels, you know. Yeah. Um and and I don't I don't think there's like no way out for them. Yeah. Either. I, I, again, all of this goes back to Pharaoh. And that if if you're asking whose fault is this that this happened, it has to be Pharaoh. Yeah. Um it, it's based off of his choices and um you know, and I I I think that um you know, if if he had chosen to listen to to God that he would have been able to come underneath the Passover, but he doesn't. Um and instead, that's offered strictly to the Israelites, um, and so you know, I think that's just something. It's hard. Um, we we kind of want to blame God for our own choices, um, you know. And sometimes, you know, I think we gotta we gotta look inside and be like, man, you know, I really was kind of culpable to that. I I led on to that. I allowed that to mm-hmm. happen. We don't want to see the darkness in ourselves. We want to assume that it's other people that have created this problem. But no, the whole problem. Like I, I contribute to the sin in this world, mm-hmm. you know. I contribute to the the darkness that has been allowed to seep into God's good creation, and and that judgment's for me too. Um, but there's an option. There's a thing. At, there's a way out. You know, like there is a way out, and that's what's going to be offered in chapter twelve. Is that, hey, you know, yes, even even Israel, Israel's not exempt from this. Um, what they are allowed to do is to come underneath the Passover, um, so that they can, you know, they can be protected. They, they give over to Yahweh, his rule, um, and recognize him for who he is. And so they are, they're passed over. Um, and so that's what we'll get into, uh, in chapter 12.